Um, and uh, so let's pray, and then we'll look at this subject together. The subject is the hand of the Lord. Has that gone off? It's all right. I was only looking for it too late then. Thank you. Okay, now I'm happy. The hand of the Lord. We're not going to look particularly at Acts 11, which is the reference there, but it's the subject. The hand of the Lord with us, the hand of the Lord upon us. Father, we pray you'll help us to make some leaps of imagination this morning, to understand that Scripture speaks to us in picture language, we're not to dismiss it, we're to embrace it so that those pictures form images of truth in our hearts that cause us to grow in faith, to anticipate and to welcome all that you want to do in us and through us because we understand something you, you're saying to us about yourself through the Scripture. Enlighten our minds and hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning, so that Jesus might be more honoured in us. Amen. You may remember the prayer of Jabez. It, uh, there was a lot of fuss over it some years ago. It comes from 1 Chronicles 4. It says, Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. His mother called him Jabez, saying, I bore him in pain. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you'd keep me from evil, evil, that I may not cause pain. And God granted him what he requested. The fuss was in a number of books all around the prayer of Jabez. Some people took that prayer to be the greatest pattern prayer in the Bible and said everyone should use that prayer every day. I strongly disagree with that opinion because Jesus gave us our pattern prayer not Jabez. I also think Jabez's prayer has some good points, but it is essentially quite selfish. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. There's no focus on God's honour and there's no focus on God's people. It's all about him, it seems so. I can imagine why some people would really like that prayer because it fits their mentality. You know, it's bless me and mine and forget the rest. You know? It reminds me, in fact, of Jacob before his conversion when the angel of the Lord wrestled with him. Jacob was only concerned about himself. And I'm not even sure he had much of a vision for his family. But when, when he was converted, God weakened him and yet strengthened him at the same time and changed his way he was thinking. Jacob was a different man after that. But that one phrase in Jabez there kind of caught my attention. That your hand would be with me. And it got me thinking about the many places in Scripture that speak about the hand or the hands or the arm of the Lord or of God. And uh, some of us grew up singing this in school and other places when we still used to have Christian worship in, in schools. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, yeah, everybody together. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a silly old song. And people get excited when songs kind of vaguely refer to God but don't even mention God's name at all. You know, but, you know he's got the whole world in his hands. But everything and everyone is, in one sense, in the hands of the Lord. It is his. All creation, he says. He's the maker and sustainer 
of all things. Every created thing is his. Nothing exists without him. Hebrews goes so far as to say that the, the world, the world, the creation is sustained by his powerful word. God is, God is exerting authority to keep things going. Why do those protons go around of these things and why does the solar system... Because God says so, that's why. It's energized by his authority. There are those who believe this to be true and entrust themselves back into the hands of a loving creator and father, but others do not want to believe it's true and do not want to acknowledge him or honor him. So scripture in Hebrew says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those who resist God and reject him will one day fall into his hands. The picture there is really of someone being arrested or captured. You, are fall, you fall into the hands of the one who catches you or arrests you like copper. You know, which is what um, Debbie's husband did for many years. Nabbed people in the name of the lower. <laughs> so having denied and dishonoured him, some people would suddenly find themselves before him as if they'd just fallen into his hands. But those who trust themselves to his hands now are blessed in doing so. Blessed to be found in his hands. In fact, the scripture goes further and says this in Deuteronomy. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath us, holding us as his children, are the arms or the hands of the Lord. He holds us and he keeps us. The language of scripture is the Lord is your refuge, your tower, the Lord is your keeper. There are times you need to run back to the refuge, but actually the refuge hadn't, hadn't moved, you had. He is the one who holds us in his hands. But his hand is against those who mistreat his children, as it was against Pharaoh and Egypt. And some of us were reading Exodus again by February, just a few weeks from now perhaps. Throughout scripture, the hand of the Lord may come upon a person or a community either for judgment or for blessing and purpose. The hand of the Lord was with the prophets to push them into certain situations, to give them his word, to give them a task to complete. I don't think that Jabez was asking for judgment, was he? He was looking for blessing, but he needed to understand some more about the hand of the Lord than that particular prayer. Let's open this up a bit. The hand of the Lord. Firstly, his hand supplies us. I can read you from 1 Chronicles 29 when the people had given to great sacrificial offering to build the temple. And it was, the, the offering was taken in David's time, but it was built in Solomon, his son's time. 1 Chronicles 29, we'll get to verse 16 in a minute. David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honour come from you and you reign over all. 
In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. It wasn't, didn't we do well? Look at that heap of money. It's no, no, this all belongs to you, Lord. It all came from you. Scripture describes God as providing food and even breath to every living thing. He supplies his children. He's our provider. All we have comes from him. In Deuteronomy 8 and 9, the Lord warned the people of Israel that when they prospered and they'd come into the land and blessing there and had all they needed, they should not think to themselves in the secrets of their heart, my own power, my own strength, my own hand gained me this. They were to remember that it is the Lord who gives the power to get wealth and income, to even work for a living. And a wise person acknowledges that all they have is received from the Lord. And when we give to the Lord, we only give back what came from his hand. His hand supplies us. Then his hand saves us and fights for us. Psalm 20, verse 6. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. The picture of God's salvation in Scripture is often portrayed as God reaching out with a strong right hand or arm and snatching us to safety. You know, we, 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 we make too little of this thing of being saved. You were saved from death. You were saved from drowning. You were saved from being killed. You were saved, you know, your very life has been saved by the grace of God. The sending of Jesus, the Son of God, as man, and his life and death as our Redeemer was prophetically portrayed in Scripture as the Lord's own arm bringing salvation to him, deliverance for people from sin and from death. And he saves us and he continues to fight for us and defend us with that same strong right hand and arm. The Lord is our saviour and he continues to save us and defend us. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, my old hymn says. You need to know that you are saved, that you belong to him because he has done that. You need to know too that that is not a past tense finished sentence. He continues to save and defend you. He continues to hold you and keep you. He continues to be your protector and your provider. He supplies, his hand supplies, his hand saves. Then his hand also lifts us up and holds us up. This language of lifting and holding is about the Lord strengthening us. How many times in scriptures does the Lord speak to somebody and say, don't be afraid, I am with you, I will strengthen you. Be of good courage. Yes. 
I will strengthen you. How many of us have any sense of having had an experience of more than, more than a few, I hope, of God strengthening us, giving us courage? Okay, then for others, obviously, this, you need to hear this. The Lord strengthening us. Psalm 27, 23 to 24. The steps of a good man and woman are ordered by the Lord and he, God, delights in his or her way. Though they fall, they shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds them with his hand. Notice there, even a good person, a good man, a good woman, a man of God, a woman of God, can stumble. We have moments of weakness. We grow weak in faith at some point. We find life difficult, challenging. Uh, we find our strength diminishing. We find doubts coming into our minds. But it is at those times that the Lord, through agencies we'll talk about in a while, the Lord upholds us. When we become faithless, he remains faithful, says in Timothy. He upholds us. The picture is of God picking us up and supporting us. The promise is that the fall will not be complete. He shall not be utterly cast down. God will pick him up and hold him up. For us as human beings, when we're wounded in some way, you know, you've only got to have a, 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 something stuck in your foot and you can't put your weight on that foot and you, <laughs> you hobble, you limp. We're wounded in some way, or perhaps we're aged. We need the support of someone else to stand or to walk. But actually, every one of us as a Christian is dependent upon the strengthening hand of the Lord. We are not in this doing this for ourselves and of ourselves. We're not strong in ourselves. We need to learn that. And sometimes God must allow us to go through times of weakness so we learn the lesson. You are not strong, but he is. Jacob thought that he was strong. He thought that he was smart and cunning too. The Lord had to show him that he was weak. And after an encounter with God, Jacob limped the rest of his life as a reminder that he was strong in the Lord, not in himself. On this subject of stumbling yet being supported by the Lord, let me point you to one of my favorite scriptures in Micah. Micah 7, verse 7 to 9. Therefore I will look to the Lord, to Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause, case, and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Micah there acknowledges that even when we've sinned against the Lord and we're bearing something of his, his, his indignation and correction for a time, more on that in a little while, nevertheless, God hasn't let go of us. He will plead our case. He will bring us into the light. We will see his righteousness. And therefore, even when we're down, when there's some experience which is dark, we can still say, don't rejoice over me, my enemy. The Lord will get me through this. The Lord is my light. 
and he will yet shine upon me. The Lord will rescue those who stumble if they call out to him from that dark place, just as Jonah prayed to the Lord from the stomach of the great fish and was heard. When it's dark, don't complain about the dark. Shout out for the light. And rejoice in God. He will bring me out. He will bring me light. He will rescue me. The last words of some, I should have put it in my notes, shouldn't I? The last words of uh, uh, Jonah's prayer are these. The last words of his prayer. Salvation is of the Lord. It was a confession. Having made his own confession, he shouldn't have been there. He'd rejected God. He'd run away from him. Made his confession of sin. His last words of prayer were this confession. The salvation of the Lord. The Lord is my salvation. When, when it's dark, when it's difficult, those are the words we need to fight our way back to. We need to struggle, struggle in our hearts for enough faith just to say again, the Lord is still with me. The Lord is still my light and my salvation. One more scripture on precious promise here. Isaiah prophesied this about the Jesus who is yet still yet to come 600 years later. He wrote of Messiah, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. I've got a book by an old Puritan on my shelves at home which is just called that, it's called The Bruised Reed. It's an exposition of just this verse of scripture. It's pages long. It's not that big, it's that big. It's pages long. A whole book of sermons on this one text. Jesus, when he finds you bruised, you know, you're almost, you're almost falling over. You know, there's a kink in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the reed. You know, you think of a piece of, long piece of grass, like a like grain of corn, you know, and it's bent over. It's, the wind's toppled it. Jesus goes, oh, that's no use then. No, 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 no. A bruised reed he will not break. You think of a, a, a little taper. You know, we have these big fat candles now. They make candles so fat they have to have three, three wicks in them nowadays, otherwise they won't burn properly. You know. We're in these big fat candles, but candles in those days were no thicker than my finger. You know, they're little tapers. And, and if they didn't burn well, they smoked and they were guttering. They were going to go out. The smoke shows you it's going to go out. Is, that's right, is it? When it's a candle, it's guttering and sparking and there's, 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 there's smoke. You think, oh, it's, it's, it's had it. But Jesus does not snuff out a guttering, smoking taper. What does he do instead? He fans it into flame. Some of us can testify that this promise is true. When we were down, he came and lifted us up. When we were stuttering and smoking, not literally, you know what I mean. He came and fanned us back into flame. And he did so very often by sending good people to encourage us and prophesy to us and pray for us. David declared of the shepherd king, Psalm 23, he restores my soul. 
And if you've never been in a place where you needed restoring, I, you've lived a boring life, my friend. <laughs> Maybe you haven't risked anything for, in faith. Maybe you haven't had any adventures with God. Because if you, if you risk some adventures with faith with God, there will be times when you will stumble. Yeah, you'll get, your, you'll get your, your toe stubbed and your nose blooded or you'll, something will happen to you. But at those times, God will pick you up again. The Lord restores our soul. Lastly on this point, it's my longest point, I know. There you go. Psalm, sorry, Psalm, John 10. Listen to this. The words of Jesus himself. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, the life of God, life everlasting. And they shall never perish, never die. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Go back again. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He doubles up. No one's going to snatch them out of my hand. And even if you can't get your head around that one, who's going to snatch them out of God's hand? My Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Those who are given into the hands of Jesus stay in the hand of Jesus. No one can take them away from him. No one. Ah, oh, but, but stop your butts. You're a sheep, not a goat. Stop butting. <laughs> no one can take us out of his hand. My friend, your, your life is not in your own hands. It's in God's hands. Your strength, your life is in him and from him. Now, I don't know what point this is, four or five. Okay. Then there are scriptures that talk about his hand pushing us onwards. And this is the, the language the prophets used. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me here and he, he stood me up on my feet and he made me say this and he gave me this to say and I was afraid, but the hand of the Lord was upon him. There's some kind of push in it. Do you mind me talking about the Lord pushing you? Is that okay? Okay. Here is Isaiah. The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand. That's an interesting phrase. He spoke to me with a strong hand. There was some weight in it. It, it. it had an impact upon him physically. He felt this word from God. And there was a push on him to go and do something. And he instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. There's some pressure sometimes in the things God says to us. It doesn't come to us with a maybe, if, whenever. It comes with like a stamp on it. Action, now. Yeah? Imperative. Urgent. Sometimes the Lord's saving you from harm. And he doesn't want you to spend a week thinking about it. He wants you to get out of harm's danger, danger's way. When the Old Testament prophets say the hand of the Lord was upon them, sometimes it's referring to something supernatural happening. Like, for instance... Uh, Ezekiel being taken by the Spirit of God from Babylon where he was in captivity to Jerusalem and then back again. You know? And like, like Philip was taken by the Spirit from this place to that place. Hey, bring me up, Scotty. Happened back in the Scriptures. 
but it was by the Spirit of God. But more generally, when they talk about the hand of the Lord, they're saying that they were pushed, pressured, impacted by the presence of God in such a way that they were pushed into something they would have, wouldn't have dared to do otherwise. The sense of his presence and power. Another analogy would be that of the, being like a sailing ship and the Holy Spirit filling the sails and you're being borne along by the Holy Spirit. The language is used in Timothy where it talks about the holy men of God wrote the scriptures as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were breathed along by the Holy Spirit, pushed along by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will often come and give us a push when it's time for me to pray for somebody in a particular way or to prophesy, I feel that kind of urgency. Oh, you know, like, wake up, David. You there? Yeah, you're sorry, Lord. Yes. It's like a, like a push. By the way, I love that uh, John Wimber used to lead uh, um, the vineyard group of churches. I went to a meeting at Holy Trinity Brompton one day and saw him and heard him. And he'd be, he said publicly to the people there, he was praying on the front row, pews, then still, pews still in HBC. It was a long time ago. They've taken the pews out since. Um, and uh, he was praying, and he, he felt a hand on his shoulder. And he thought, oh, that's nice, thank you. And he finished praying, and then he looked up to thank the person, and there's no one there. He just felt that sense of God's presence like a hand on his shoulder, just, just encouraging him, just confirming him. The Holy Spirit will give us that sense of impact, push. A little bit of pressure. It's not condemnation. Because condemnation puts you down, conviction stands you up. Puts courage in you. It's time to act. Don't mistake the word comfort in the Bible. It's not a condition you put in your washing machine. Neither is it couch time. I'm going to have a bit of couch time. You know? When that word appeared in the earliest English translations, the word had quite an opposite meaning to the one it has today. It meant to be strengthened, to be made solid, to be toughened up. The Holy Spirit strengthens us for action, He pushes us onwards. Therefore, he moves us in a direction which is away from the unbelieving world. We are not to walk the way the people walk. The unbelieving world walks. We're not to live the way they live. Not by a set of rules and restrictions, but because the Holy Spirit pushes us to keep going and following Jesus. There's encouragement. There's pressure. There's conviction. There's courage that comes to us through this push of the hand of the Lord. And then connected with that, the hand of the Lord equips us and trains us and encourages us. A couple of scriptures here. Psalm 144 verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. You say, well, that's about the hand of the Lord. Yes, but how does he train your hands? Let me add a scripture to that. Isaiah 41 verse 13. I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, for I will help you. There are a number of scriptures where the Lord speaks to us about taking someone by the hand and leading them, the right hand. But this leading is not like leading a flock of sheep. Ah, there you go, there you go, there you go. It's rather the training of sons, of children. And I want to illustrate this to you, okay? If God takes your right hand, what hand is he holding yours with? 
You stand, you're walking with them. What, hold, what hand? The answer's left. Because right. otherwise he's doing that. Now he's holding his left hand on your hand. So what his, what's his right hand doing? Teaching you. Training. You see this? Holding your hand. You see this? You see that here? Now this is how this works. This is how you do this. You need a child around a farmyard, you say, this is how it works. This is what we do with the cows and these are the chickens. Because later that child might become the farmer. God trains us, firstly by holding our right hand and then by showing us how it gets done, how we do life by faith in him. He trains us and equips us with example, with scripture. How to live, how to work, how to fight. He trains our hands. We learn from him. You do know that one very important way of describing the Christian life is that of a battle of warfare. We're never without it. And it's a regular and normal part of a Christian's life and walk to have to deal with fear and find strength and courage from the Lord. And to know that he holds your hand, you know, usually you only think of parents holding children's hands or, 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 or husband and wife holding each other's hands, you know, ah, oh, nice, you know. There are cultures where men hold men's hands. It's a sign of friendship and partnership. Don't get weird with me. No, 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 I'm not getting weird with you. I've been in another culture, in an Arab culture, in an Indian culture, where a man has held my hand. Because they're walking together and he's talking to me. And it's, it, it's, 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 an extra, it's an extra measure of companionship. The Lord wants you to know he holds your hand. And that's so he's never far away from you, that he can, you can hear him, you can observe him. Jesus said he always, he always knew what the Father was doing. He was seeing what the Father was doing and then he could do it. He could follow that instruction. I believe that's how the Lord wants us to know his presence. Being held by one hand and being shown how to do life. The Lord Jesus invites us to be yoked to him and to learn from him. So alongside of that one, his hand delegates to us and partners with us. There is very little in the world the Lord does without us, his people. Very often in prayer meetings, we spend a lot of time and energy playing, especially years ago, people prayed a lot like this, charismatic Pentecost. Lord, would you please go and do this? Would you please go and do that? Would you please go there and do this? What's wrong with that prayer? He's probably going to send someone to go in his name, on his behalf, to represent him. He doesn't do a lot without human beings. That's his, that's his purpose. That's his plan. We're co-workers with him. He puts us into the family business. If you look at the Exodus again, a few weeks' time, we're reading Exodus. Very brief summary of the plagues of, the, of Egypt in Exodus. God's hand, and it's said again and again in Exodus, the hand of God was against Pharaoh and against Egypt. And if you do a bit of figuring out and finding out, you'll discover that each one of those plagues was directed against one of the gods of Egypt. One by one, the gods of Egypt were defied and destroyed, cast down by the hand of God. Yet every time, what does God tell Moses? 
stretch out your hand over the river, over the air, over the ground. Stretch out your hand and declare what God is going to do. Moses didn't make it happen, but Moses obeyed the Lord to declare that it was going to happen. You understand? But God used Moses' mouth and Moses' hand to do what God wanted to do. And he hasn't given up on that idea yet. So our prayers of wanting to kind of somehow like give God his to-do list of where to go in all over the world and all over the place and every kind of hospital ward and, you know, that neighbour down the road and go and visit their house, Lord, and go and do that for them, you know. It's like, come on! He gives instructions. He delegates responsibility and authority to us. To act entirely without us is not his usual way, no matter how much we might fondly pray for that. Our hands often represent his hands in blessing people, in conferring gifts, in serving, in washing feet, in appointing leadership. When his grace and power are displayed, we give all the honour to him, even if he did it by our hands. We should be prepared for those times when, like Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel and others, the hand of the Lord comes upon us to equip us and energise us for a particular moment, a particular task, to act, to speak, to pray. We're here not simply to do our best, but to do what God wants us to do with the resources that he gives us. We depend upon his wisdom and strength and grace through the Holy Spirit. Lastly, his hand corrects us. Remember Micah, verse chapter 4? I will bear the indignation of the Lord. I know I sinned against him. I know I'm why I got here. But he will nevertheless bring me through. He will plead my case. He will bring me light. Throughout Scripture, the hand of the Lord is often mentioned as acting in judgment upon God's enemies and the enemies of his people, but in correction, discipline, correction, fatherly correction towards his people. We are corrected by our fathers so we will not be condemned with the world to pull one verse aside of the middle of a longer context. 1 Corinthians 11 the way we handle one another. Judging the Lord's body is not how you handle the bread, it's how you handle the body, the body of Christ. If we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we're judged, we are chastened by the Lord. You think judged is condemned? No, judged. God judges that something needs to be corrected and then corrects it. We are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the Lord. Whom the Lord loves, says Hebrews he corrects. He corrects. He disciplines. He restores my soul. He also sometimes corrects my soul. And he does it so we are not standing in the condemned pool. We're not dismissed from his community. He's, we're not, we're not uh, uh, cast off from being his children. He corrects us because he's our father. So there may be times when the hand of the Lord comes upon us and we feel this correction. That's not for others to judge. We should know in ourselves if the Lord's doing something that is chastening, correcting, getting our attention, drawing us back to be on track. Let's summarize this up now. I believe the Lord wants us to adjust our thinking about how we get on in life as Christians. It's not merely the work of our minds and hands. It is by his hand being with us 
and upon us. Jabez had it right. He, just, he was a bit selfish in the way he was thinking about it. Let your hand be with me. We could expand and say, Father, let your hand be with us and upon us and behind us and holding us and strengthening us and supplying us so we do life in a way that honors you, Lord. The hand of the Lord. Pray that his hand will be with us all and upon us. Not just as individuals, but as a whole community, Christian community. It's reported of the early church in Acts 11 that the hand of the Lord was with them. And that's a momentous event there in Acts 11 because the gospel goes out from the Jewish population to the Gentile population for the first time. And in a city called Antioch, people from Jerusalem start preaching to, the, to people who aren't Jews. And the, that first mostly Gentile church blossoms, explodes. It's the Antioch church. They don't have the habits and the rituals and maybe some of the things the Jerusalem church have. It's an entirely Gentile church. Causes a whole heap of trouble, which you can read about in the following chapters. But God did it. The hand of the Lord was with them. And many people were being converted. The hand of the Lord was with them in another, another part of Scripture. And signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and prophets. The hand of the Lord was with them. I don't, I don't recommend Jabez's prayer as a pattern, but I, listen, that one phrase is one I want us to be thinking about and picking up on as we go into this year. We are looking for, we are eager for, we are asking for the hand of the Lord. It means he does what we couldn't do, but he actually also then does it with us and even by us as we act in faith, feeling the pressure, the push of the Holy Spirit. We don't dumb down. We don't say, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly do that. We say, okay, Lord, help me now. Help me now. Give me words. Give me courage. Give me wisdom. How do I do that? Go and speak to your neighbor. <gasps> wow, okay, how do I do that? Inquire of him. Ask for more. Ask for more wisdom. Ask for more courage. Ask him to form the words that you can use to start the conversation. All his resources are available to those who will ask of him in faith. May the hand of the Lord be with us this new year, this new decade. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Then we'll break bread. Father, I pray that your hand may be with us and upon us, holding us, strengthening us, equipping us, training us, correcting us, doing whatever is necessary, Lord, for our well-being and for your honour. You always do us good. Every act of yours towards your children is for our good. And so we bless your hand that feeds us, supplies us. And we do not want to be proud in our hearts and think that we are strong and we're smart. And we can do it because we can't without you. Yet with you, in you and through you, we can do all that we need to get done. All that we're called to do. All that life gives us as a responsibility and a duty. 
is accomplished by the strength that you supply. And we want to continue to think about this image of your hand supplying us from heaven, strengthening us and holding us, uh, giving us uh, your power, your strength, your courage. So we do not wander around this planet like orphans. Some are vaguely hoping Jesus will come us and come and get us out of this mess. But we are living as those who are living under the hand of God. You guard us, you keep us, you defend us, you teach us. Thank you for the precious picture of God holding our right hand. Another wonderful prophetic pictures of you picking us up when we're down when we're bowed down under the pressures of life, you lift us to our feet again. We bless your name, Lord. I just want to pray this morning for uh, Victor and for Janonso. Victor's going back up to uh, Scotland to work there. We need the Lord to help Victor and Janonso so they find one place to